Blog Talk Radio. Thursday, May the 5th, 2016. As always, I'm your host, John Hansen, and we're broadcasting live through our studios in New York City over the Block Talk Radio Network. Um, now, I wanted to tell you, today we're going to meet a dragon, and no, not one of those mythical creatures that breathes fire, although for some budding uh, or hopeful entrepreneurs, they uh, may uh, disagree with me on that. Uh, of course, uh, when I say dragon, I'm talking about uh, a dragon from the hit CBC uh, Dragons, Dra- Dragons Den series. Uh, Nicole uh, Verkant is joining us today to talk about her company, OMX. And, and what's interesting about this is obviously being a dragon, uh, she has a keen sense as to what it takes to succeed in business, what it takes to build, overcome obstacles, identify the obstacles in the first place, and then overcome them. So I, I'm, I'm particularly interested in learning more about her, her company, her own company, OMX, and we'll get onto that momentarily. But I just want to remind everybody again that uh, today's segment is broadcasting live. However, if you aren't able to join us now, Not to worry, because the entire segment is being recorded in its entirety, which means, listeners, that you can tune in at your convenience anytime. Just one of the great, great features of uh, Internet radio, in particular, blog talk radio. So without further delay, I'd like to welcome Nicole Verdekint to the show. Nicole, how are you? Hey, John. I'm great. How are you guys? Well, we're doing fine at this end. Now, I've got to tell you right right off the bat, because I want to get into, you know, OMX, I looked into it, and, and... uh, and of course, not surprisingly, they did a bit of research. And besides being a platform that helps organizations buy local, as it's been described, what is most compelling is it also manages and tracks, as you write, total job creation and economic impact uh, from large projects, usually government projects, obviously defense spending, uh, et cetera. And I know you have some background in uh, government uh, contracts and defense spending. Uh, but one of the things that stood out about this is that uh, I was wondering – in relation to the public sector and the private sector, how does, this, how does the private sector view this, particularly with regards to, uh, again, the, the capturing of this data and information uh, regarding industrial regional benefits? Like, how has the reception been? Well, like any startup, it's always hard at first, especially if you're going into an industry that's, uh, that's, highly regulated or sort of done things a certain way for a long time. But I think as soon as you get a few of the leaders on board and they start to say, and and we're living in this, I mean, I just love what you're doing with the blog and talk radio on the internet. And we're living in this world where it's all about data. It's, it's going to be way more about transparency and the corporate actors that are willingly putting their hands up to say, I want to, um, disclose my opportunities and what I'm looking to source to Canadian or or to local companies in different countries where I'm doing work. And I want to give opportunities to local Aboriginal businesses and I'm going to track and I'm going to actually figure out what the real impacts of the economy are because of my project or because of whatever I've done in this, this country that I'm operating in. And I think as soon as a few leaders start to put their hands up and do that, then my analogy is a bunch of penguins hanging on the, the ice. The rest of them start to fall off because it starts to become, sort of table stakes, you, you know, you need to 
stand up and disclose and talk about what you're really doing for the economy. So I think, I think that's what happens with, with most companies as they move into more mainstream. You know, the, at the beginning we were operating on the fringes and we had to find our first early customer and, and we found it with a large defense aerospace company in California called General Atomics. Um, but they were also very entrepreneurial and still privately held and, and so and small when you're looking at big aerospace companies. So we had to find our initial customer with a company that was sort of deemed to be more forward thinking and smaller, more entrepreneurial. And then we moved on to the bigger guys and we landed Lockheed Martin and and uh, British Aerospace and, and many others after that. But as soon as we had some of the leaders coming up and putting their hands up saying, we want to participate, we want to disclose, we want to put information on this platform, we want to engage more companies, and we really want to figure out what the impacts are to a local economy. As soon as p- larger corporations start to do that, then I think you start to see more and more come on. And, and the case with Lockheed, for instance, I think it was also a response. There was negative press in, in Canada about the F-35 program in particular, where you know, the average Canadian was saying, well, there's nothing in this for us. You know, there's no, there's no offsets on the F-35. There's nothing in this for us. So they turned to us, and, and we did uh, numerous reports, two of which are public, um, you know, dispelling that myth and saying, you know, we've, we've used our software, we've used our platform, we've used data analytics. We've done a plug-in to Stat Statistics Canada to figure out, you know, what economic impact multipliers should be applied to what different activity types are being put in this country. And we figured out really what those numbers were, what the jobs were and what the impacts were. So okay, long okay, way to certainly everybody, I've got, I've got to ask this question because, you know, in uh, roundup episodes you were in in December, 2015, you, you made reference to the evolved enterprise and the fact that corporate trust only 30% of those poll trust corporations. And if you look at the history of, of unrealized uh, IRB credits, offsets where there's been promises of delivery for regional economic benefits that haven't materialized. And you mentioned the entrepreneurial spirit, if you will, of, of, of corporations uh, adopting this early. I mean, what has been the problem with the IRB credits? And, and, and I asked this, Nicole, simply because have the unrealized credits been the result of not having a system like yours in the first place? Or has it been somewhat carelessness or willfulness on the part of the corporations and that your information now that you're going to provide, that will provide that transparency and say, wait, what's in it for us? Now we can not only understand what's in it for us, uh, but also we can track it on a real-time basis to see if you're, you're complying with the promises in relation to offset. I mean, our corporations, are, are, are those evolved enterprises, uh, the ones who are adopting this first, and as you say, the Penguin example, and the other ones are following because they have no choice. I mean, what's been the roadblock for the realization of, of IRB and offsets in the past? Uh, that's a great question. So I'll answer it in two parts. First, on the evolved enterprise, I really do believe that the technology is serving as a, a platform and a way for more and more companies to say, you know, at the end of the day, consumers make the decisions, they make the rules. And, you know, there's a huge case that's blown up in Canada right now about beef. One of our, our big uh, restaurants, you know, they, they want to buy, you know, beef from companies that treat animals humanely and they're sourcing from a, an American buyer, American supplier and everyone's outraged because Canada has so much beef and they should be buying Canadian but the consumers make the decisions and so more people are showing up at their restaurant because you know that restaurant supplying humane beef well the consumer makes that rule and so when you talk about evolved enterprise the way I view the world is very black and white and I really think enterprises don't evolve just because they want to be nice enterprises don't have emotions they don't have opinions they operate to in a way where they will deliver the highest profit to their 
enterprise. And when I think about evolving that enterprise, I think it's the decision makers within the enterprise are saying we're going to make more money if we respond in this way because consumers or our customer wants it. In the case of the government with the offsets, it's actually identical. And what happened there was that in the past, uh, a company would win a contract based on their technical proposal and their price. Once they won the contract, they would then get over, you know, they would move over to the division within the department within the Canadian government and they would sign an offset agreement or a contract with the government to say, this is what we'll do. And, you know, they had to, they had to deliver a plan in their proposal initially, and they had to pass that plan, but it was very, it was sort of separate from the actual contracting department. So in Canada, there's a department that buys, then there's a department that deals with the economic impacts of the country. There was a massive change that happened a few years ago where the department that buys said, said, guess what? We now want to evaluate your technical bid, your price bid, and your impact to the economy bid. And that impact of the economy will be um, worth 10 to 20, sometimes more, percent of the total bid evaluation. So there we go. We're waving the dollars on the table and we're showing large enterprises as a government. I'm not saying we, I'm not the government, but they're saying we will actually give you more points in your evaluation and you will have a higher chance of winning this massive, potentially billion-dollar contract if you show us up front and commit up front to do certain things for the economy. And then it gets even better. Whoever wins that contract based on what they've promised, they put those commitments in the deliverables. And because it's the department that's controlling the contract itself, they can do holdbacks. They cannot pay the company if they don't deliver. And so there's a lot more teeth and there's a, lot, a much bigger carrot. There's both going on now. When it comes to okay, government Okay, so wait, before OMX came along, sorry to interrupt, but before OMX came along, the intent was there to do this, but the execution yes. was not there. So is this where OMX platform comes into play now? Because now you're actually able, and, and, and I saw a demonstration of your, your solution, and it's on a real-time basis you can track where they are in terms of the economic benefits in relation to the offset targets. Um, I mean, that, is that really the other side of that? Is that the extension of that intent, OMX? Yeah, well, there's, I hate to downplay it, but I, there isn't really proof or data that those co corporations were not fulfilling their offsets before. There were a lot of frustrated companies saying, we don't know how to get access to this, and we don't know what they're actually looking to source. But, and the government was sort of showing, because of confidentiality agreements, no one knew where, where anything was at in the offsets. So... So we can't say for sure that they weren't fulfilling. We know that nobody was charged penalties, and we think that a lot of companies were delayed in their fulfillment, but nobody knows, and so no one's sure of that at this point. In terms of the, the delivery that the value that OMX is bringing is it's really a tool for all the parties, and it's bringing everybody together in one platform. And, and a supplier can't necessarily see where that large corporation is in fulfilling their offset. Um, but they can see when the company decides to disclose it, exactly what they're looking to source and when they want to source it. And then if the keywords match, the company can respond. Or if the criteria matches, the company can respond. So it's bringing real-time opportunities to companies all over the country that there isn't a chance that one person that's managing the offsets in the large corporation would be able to reach all those people within a certain small period of time. So it's giving thousands more companies more access. There's, there's huge, huge push in Canada to help the Aboriginal communities right now, and we're seeing that in other countries around the world. But the thinking is, instead of giving them more grants, why don't we get their businesses and try to give them access to work? I mean, the Americans do a very good job of that with government procurement and helping their Native Americans. But 
you can't get to most of these people because most of them are in, are in northern communities or, or in, in far-out rural communities. And so the Internet's such a beautiful thing. It's bringing those opportunities. In terms of disclosing where they're at and fulfilling their offsets, they, again, have to do, choose to do that on their own. And, again, we're a tool and a data analytics platform that within nanoseconds you, you, can, do, you can generate those reports and those graphics and those maps and those analytics. But it's still up to them. Unfortunately, okay, but we're here's not, the point. Here, here's the point you're saying is because this is the general thing. Because you know, I, I've done some research and there's this feeling, and I find it interesting. You say we don't know for certain if there were IRB credits. Yet within the government, they talk about the fact is is that there were massive IRB credits being built up. What you're saying is we don't have all the information to determine one way or another, and that's perhaps one of the bigger parts of the problem is we don't. With the OMEX platform, you actually remove the mystery of that. I mean, is that the way to, to look at it, where you are able to generate those reports and generate that intelligence to be able to say, okay, here is the commitment in your deliverable. Here is where you actually are in terms of meeting that deliverable. So first of all, I mean, OMX, does it do that? The platform does that, but the customers generate the reports, and the customers are the prime contractors and suppliers. So okay, so it, so the wait, the government the, the government person. can't create the report. Is it so? It's voluntary. At this stage, yeah. I mean, if the government wanted to say, you know, OMX, we want to partner with you, and we'd like to require OEMs to report in this fashion, and we'd like to be able to create reports in real time. That would be something our technology would be capable of very, very quickly. Uh, but to this day, we launched without Canadian government necessarily their their support or backing um, in that they wanted to use the tool. And so we launched and we went with the big OEMs that were fulfilling the offsets as main, our main initial clients. And then the, all the suppliers come in as well and subscribe to respond to their opportunities. Wait, I, I see. I'm a little dumbfounded by that because you've created this platform that finally provide transparency and insight into this. One would think that the Canadian government would jump on this and saying, now we finally have a tool because if, as you say, you know, you've got this uh, anecdotal uh, reference to uh, IRB credits, and there's a lot of them on the books, and we're not achieving economic benefits that we expected. I mean, your tool is, 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 is an incredible and, and, and useful tool for the government, not only from the standpoint of being able to monitor activity, uh, and you'd think they'd want that information, but based upon the intelligence that you can garner, I mean, somewhere down the road, your tool could also become a predictive uh, 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 means to be able to ascertain whether or not the IRB credits being discussed or, or, or bandied about in the deliverables are actually achievable. I mean, that, I, I'm a little bit perplexed that the government wouldn't jump on that and say, look, you know, this is, this is something we need to know as well. We need this report card. I mean, is that a dumb question? <laughs> you looking for a job in sales, John? <laughs> well, no, no, no. I, I, no. It, it, it's just look. Listen, a few years ago, when they used to, when when the government of Canada, I chaired a roundtable discussion on the way forward initiative, you. and I don't remember. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, yeah, Catherine May from the uh, Ottawa. What's that? I was involved in those roundtables as a supplier oh, okay. back back in my in my family business as a supplier and I was one of the ones that was complaining the loudest saying I can't get off this access was to 2005 so, so you know the way forward initiative and one of the interesting things and I talked with a, a senior executive supplier from from HP at the time and the government with the lack of data 
sent out and said to everybody, you've got to cut your prices by 10%. At least this is what was explained to me by the HPVP. And they said, well, what are you basing this on? Because they were trying to, 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 to get savings because they had an absence of information. So if I'm looking at this and I'm saying there are it, – it, it is socially responsible – uh, procurement. I mean, the government. One of the things that roundtables that came out is is that government buying, unlike uh, corporate buying or private sector buying, government buying should be used as a vehicle or a tool to have a social impact, social and economic impact, uh, because it's dealing with taxpayers' money. Uh, that absence of information stood with me. And now I'm looking here and saying, well, now we're looking at the importance of IRBs. We're looking at the importance of regional economic impacts and all of these factors. But in the past, there was no way to really track it. You know, this is information one would want, and I'm not trying to take a shot at corporations here, but going back again to your December 17th roundup chat, and it stuck with me where you talked about the trust level being at 30%. They equate corporations with Wall Street, and we all know what Wall Street is like on that. I mean, there's a certain feeling that we're asking the fox to guard the hen house in terms of this data. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Am I missing something here? No, no, you're not missing something. I think it's just very difficult for a huge federal government to, um, I mean, they're implementing something called e-procurement now and all the big software companies. We can't fit on that. It's just way too massive for us to basically go in and overhaul their internal e-procurement. And um, so I think they're thinking about this, but we, we are definitely the leaders. It's a niche space. We've been focused on this, you know, nonstop for four and a half years. And so we're, we're definitely the best in this particular area in terms of okay. tracking. And okay, we're talking let me to other add- governments. Let, let me ask this, because this is an interesting point here. Going back, because it is dependent, and now your, your words regarding an involved enterprise really ring strong with me, uh, because it's up to the, uh, the good stewardship of the, of the OEMs, these suppliers, who have to meet these deliverables to well, well, use a, this they information. Legal, they have a legal contract to fulfill as well. right? I, I understand, not- but how do you fulfill it? I, I mean, if, if, if the... Canadian government doesn't have access to the data. These people do have access to the data. You know, you're leaving it in their hands to do the right thing. And, it, and, and it, as you said at the top of the show, you know, there, there are some entrepreneurial companies who realize that this is important, who realize this is the way to go. But I can't help but wonder how many companies, if they do use this, don't want to know it. Or worse yet, you've got this great tool. That, by the way, and, and, and talking with the uh, gentleman from your organization who did the demonstration, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that was most interesting is, as I said, is it possible that this can be used to create a predictive model, you know, utilization of algorithms, something that can be used to predict so that when you do get a tender in, when you do get a response, you actually have some historical perspective that you can use to say, yes, these IRBs are reasonable to expect. In other words, the government has definitive way to establish what is a reasonable economic benefit. Uh, I mean, there's so many possibilities here. Are the private sector corporations, who are now your clients, who is up to them to share the information, but they're going to use it internally, and if they find out they're not meeting the mark internally, I don't know if they're going to step up the plate saying, oops, sorry, we missed this month. We're willing to pay a penalty. I mean, are we... How can we get closer to get this information in the hands where it can do the most good? Well, the lever that the government's using now is is kind of that carrot um, lever in, in new bids. So when they're releasing a new bid to, to source something, they say, tell us what you've done in the past. Tell us what you've fulfilled. Tell us what you're going to do. And whatever you write in this plan, we're going to 
uh, we're going to hold you to it and not even pay your contract if you don't fulfill. So I, I think, I think that's where this is going. And um, like I said, there's companies that are proactively saying, I'm going to release a public report. And, I, and there's companies that are putting this data up on their websites now. So um, there's also something I've always been interested in where the accounting firms, I've always thought should require these companies to disclose. I mean, lots of these huge corporations have offsets uh, owed all over the planet and sort of put the cash they might have to be penalized for if they don't fulfill on as a real liability on the balance sheet to kind of get investor relations interested in this. So I've always seen that as something as well that I, 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 see, I would see it personally as a real liability if I were uh, leading one of the larger corporations. Oh, absolutely. Listen, one of the things, and maybe I watch TV too much, but there's a show on CBC called Murdoch Mystery, and I remember the episode about the electric car versus gasoline and how the gasoline industry, you know, drowned out the electric car. I mean, the electric car was in everyone's best interest. I mean, it's coming to reality now to a certain degree. But, 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 like, I can't help but think um, that the corporations who are progressive might be far and few between uh at this particular stage and that many may look at your information as being well it's great it's accurate and frankly it scares the bejeebers out of us because i don't know if anybody says bejeebers anymore but i did but it it scares us because it it makes us accountable and if we if we share this information um you know what are the penalties going to be what if we find out using OMAX that we can't do, hit these deliverables uh, and that we have to do an adjustment because a lot of these contracts change, especially complex ones. I mean, look at what the, look, look at the building the Coast Guard ships. Uh, originally, the, uh-huh. the Canadian government went with one format type. Uh, the, 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 the UN, and particularly the U.S., said you don't have enough firepower on those ships. We've got to change things. And the impact and the ripple down effect to Irving shipyards, et cetera. I mean, like, you know, things change with these complex contracts. They're not a static picture in time. Uh, and that can have an effect on, on IRBs. If the government Absolutely. doesn't have access to that same information, I mean, they have nothing to enforce. Well, they are. I know I keep reports. coming back to that, yeah. like, but I they, just, they are getting reports I'm from these companies. They're getting reports um, monthly or quarterly. They, they are getting reports. They are knowing when things are behind. They're definitely, and whenever they're behind, they have to come up with a plan on how they're going to get back on track. So, so that is happening. It's happening within. Um, I said it used to be called Industry Canada. It's happening within that department. So they are aware. They're just, it's just not public data, and they're and they're not. I haven't seen, you know, the data analytics, but there's all these confidentiality agreements between these large corporations. You're right, though. Everyone is very slow moving, but the good news is because of some of these changes, there's, and, and we're seeing it all over the world. It's really interesting. I, I see offsets thing between governments around the planet because it's a, an exemption to, um, to the international trade agreements that we're allowed to source locally for national security reasons. And so, I've seen all the different countries ramp up their offset policies, places like India and Korea, and they want IP up front. They want more and more and more and more. And so governments need to look at this as something that's competitive amongst governments. And, and, and I know the United States does not have offsets, but they, but they really do, John. I mean, it's just something different. It's, it's you know, buy local. It's, it's buy America. It's, uh, we don't give you this contract unless you're a facility and all your costs are here in the United States. So, um, so it's something that's competitive amongst governments, and they have to see it that way. Okay, now you mentioned earlier that some governments outside of Canada are looking at this and perhaps more proactively, and, and, and I don't know if this is the right word, more aggressively. Uh, yeah. But those other governments, uh, I don't know if you can tell us who they are, but, but 
you know, it's the example that you just given, the competitiveness uh, that they want on a global basis. Is that the impetus behind that? I mean, is Canada is Canada sort of at the head of the pack in terms of government adoption? And 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 if they're not, why are these other governments getting it now? Like, what what, what why are they buying in on the idea now? Well, I mean, it kind of depends who you get to in the government, right? So we've had two different governments really interested in starting to explore it. In one of the cases, we had a younger, very, very tech-friendly, well, I can say the country, South Korea. And, you know, it's a very, very tech-friendly country. And, and the individual that was put in charge, very senior at a level to manage the offsets, was younger and came from, you know, had been using technology his entire life and just loved it. And so it was kind of more of this love for technology and the data. And I think it sort of depends on where you're getting at within these governments and they're not necessarily talking to each other internally. And it's, it's what I learned from working in these governments is when I started out, I had your, I had uh, your, your sort of attitude towards it, John, I sort of said, this is insane, right? I was, you know, anger is the best feeling an entrepreneur can have. If someone's not angry at the beginning, they're never going to get anywhere. <laughs> but now that I've gotten into it, it's like, I just don't think there is a conspiracy. I, I, I don't think, I don't think that they're necessarily even thinking that way. I, I think it kind of depends on you got to get the right person and who has all the, the right, it's the right timing and they've got enough leeway and they don't hate their boss. And there's all these different things that are happening within the person in the government to support you. And they can't feel threatened by this. And, and there's just so many emotions and people involved at every step of the way. And even us entering into a large corporation like Lockheed, you better believe we've had you know conversations and demonstrations and, and discussions with hundreds of people within that organization, and so it's it's really just one thing at a time to get people to all fully adopt something like this, and then I think I think you make change over a decade, right? Right, new people come in. Uh, I mean, the next millennial yeah. generation coming in, new attitudes. Uh, or generation next, as I call them, coming yeah. in. So let, let, let me ask you this. How far away are you from this tipping point? I guess this would be the thing. You, you obviously have a great proof of concept. I've seen the product uh, demonstration. Uh, it, it makes sense in terms of where the industry, if it isn't here now, it has to get to. I mean, we hope it doesn't take 100 years like the electric car to get here. But like, mm-hmm. how far away do you feel you are with the tipping point? Of, of 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 getting this 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 critical, uh, I, I guess going viral. I don't know if that's the right word, but you know, getting the critical adoption, uh, much like the 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 the, the Collins uh, fly uh, flywheel type of thing, where you get that thing going, where you can say yes, now finally things are really going to move quickly, and the adoption is yeah. going to go uh, fast. How how far away are you from that? We're, we're estimating at about six months right now. But when we when we get a big project and the the big prime contractor is putting hundreds of RFPs and they've got you know deadlines of one month, we we kind of go viral over the course of that month. And so we're we're we are definitely seeing it right now. But I think another six months, we just landed. I can't really disclose exactly what, but we just landed a whole bunch of more funding too. Um, not didn't raise equity, but funding from a customer, and um, we're planning on uh, on dramatically scaling on internationally as well. So we're really excited, and um, yeah, I think I know exactly what you're talking about, though that curve, that point on the in the technology adoption curve, where finally it's become more it's become mainstream. Okay, I got to ask you this, and you you knew I had to because I've watched a few episodes of you and your your your, your two uh, partners there on the on the panel of of uh, Dragons Den. If you were mm-hmm. facing 
yourself and the other two people in the Dragon's Den, what, what do you think they would ask? How do you think they'd respond to your opportunity? <laughs> I did not know you would ask that, and I've actually never thought about that. But I think the biggest risk I always had from the very beginning was I was taking a, a platform concept that is traditionally very consumer focused or friendly and trying to put it into an industry that's highly regulated, large corporations. You have to turn some of the largest corporations in the, on the planet around to try to use, adopt this technology. And so my biggest barriers were, um, you know, we only had so much cash and so much runway in the beginning was to be able to get these bigger guys on board and to be able to get them to actually use it and, um, and get through the security and, and regulation issues. And so luckily we're, we're past that stuff because we went three years on just security uh, audits, et cetera, with some of these big prime contractors. So that's what I would be questioning for sure. In the Got it. So would you, okay. So I, you know what? I'll save this for six months from now. We're going to have to talk in because you said six months is a tipping point. You know that I've got to have to follow up with you on that. I would love that. <laughs> You'll keep okay. me accountable. Uh, there you go. Nicole Verkant, thank you for joining us today. I, I mean, I find it, it very fascinating. I, I think like anything else, I experience a sense, and you probably picked it up, of frustration because it's so obvious it hurts that what you have to offer <laughs> actually is a great thing. So, uh, you know, well, hopefully, just, again, you'll get the traction everyone, you need. I just wish everyone thought like you, John. <laughs> Thanks for having thank me. Thank you so much. Okay. okay and you. to you, our listening audience, thank you for sharing what is your most valuable asset, which is your time. I want to remind you again that this entire broadcast has been recorded, and you can tune in at your convenience uh, on an on-demand basis through Blog Talk Radio. Until we come at you over these virtual airways again, I remain your host as always, John Hansen. Bye for now. <laughs>